Drama, Sports, and Spirituality Library here in Verona, Wisconsin. And I'm going to be reading, I'm going to read some stuff out of the big book today. And, you know, it's, I love the big book. And the uh, reason I love the big book is, too, is there's so much stuff in it. It's helped me out so much. And it's carried my ass continuously. And, uh, and there's so many different different things I think of when I'm going out during the day and I'm pretty sure that other people do it too. You know, we think about how, you know, we think about little acronyms like how honesty, open-minded, and willingness. How many times have I said that to myself? And say that, they say the serenity prayer. And this stuff just continuously helps and pulls me through tight situations. Situations that were really tight, now that I think about it. I had some people chasing me that weren't very nice. Anyways, um, what I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read a couple different things here today. First one is gonna be page 417, and acceptance was the answer. And I am just gonna read the, uh, I'm gonna read it, read the part what talks about it here, and I'm gonna go on to another story, but you know, I had such a problem with, I have such problems today with accepting things for what they are. And all it does is make me bitter and miserable. Alright, so, and acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I had some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact in my life, unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity so I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing, happens in God's world by mistake. Once I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober unless I accept life completely on life's terms. I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the way the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. Shakespeare said all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was able to see the flag, see the flaw in every person, every situation. And I was always glad to point it out. Because I knew you wanted perfection, just as I did. AA and acceptance have taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us, and a bit of bad in the best of us. That we all are children of God, and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I am complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than I am saying that I know better than God. No, let me stop right there. As we know what the answer to that would be, but that's the thing is for me is that you know what? It's from page four seventeen. It goes into four eighteen. So.
you know, I, I love that state, and I read that a lot, you know, page 417's acceptance, you know, that's where we always go off of, and you know, at the meetings and stuff like that, and uh, I just want to read this part too, it's about a, about a guy that, he lives only to drink, and it, it kind of jumped right out at me, because that was my whole life. I've been preached to, analyzed, cursed, and counseled, but no one had ever said, I identify with what's going on with you. It happened to me, and this is what I did about it. And looking back on my life, I can see anything that would have warned me or my family of the devastation that alcoholism had in store for us. To our collective memories, there was no drinking on either side of the family. We were from Long Southern Baptist ministry, from Long Southern Missionary Baptist tradition. My father was a minister, and I attended his church every Sunday with the rest of the family. And like them, I was very active in religious works. My parents were also educators. My father was the principal of the school I attended, and my mother taught there. They're both champions of the community outreach and so well-respected. There was caring and togetherness among us. My maternal grandmother herself, a deeply religious woman who lived with us, helped raise me. It was a it was a living example of unconditional love. Early on, the values of her of morality and learning were impressed on, on me. I was taught that if you were well-educated and morally upstanding, there was nothing that could stand in the way of your success in this life or hereafter. As a child and young man, I was evangelic, I'm sorry, I was evangelic, evangelic, there we go. Literally drunk with moral zeal and intellectual ambition. I excelled in school and dreamed of a career in teaching and helping others. It was not until I was an adult away from family and doing graduate work at a prestigious East Coast University that I had my first real drink of alcohol. I tasted beer and a little wine before that and long since decided that fruit juice tasted better. I'd never been inside a bar until one, one evening fellow students persuaded me to go with them to a local cocktail lounge. I was fascinated. I still remember the hazy, smoky atmosphere in the hushed voices, the tinkle of ice in the glasses, it was pure sophistication. But most of all, I remember that the first sensation of warm whiskey radiating through my body. I drank so much that night that nobody believed I hadn't been drinking all that time. And I didn't get drunk. Although there were parts of the evening that I didn't remember that next day. But more important than anything else that night, I belonged. I was at home in the universe. I was comfortable with people. Despite my active church and school life as a child, 
I had never felt really comfortable. Comfortable. I was actually very nervous and insecure around people, and most of the time forced myself to be outgoing, like my parents, because I thought it was my duty. But this night in the bar was like no other time in my life. Not only was I completely at ease, but I actually loved all the strangers around me, and they loved me in return. I thought all because of the madness, magic potion, alcohol. What a discovery. What a revelation. The following year, I began my career as a teacher. The first job was at a college 50 miles from my hometown. Before the school year ended, I had been asked, I've been asked to resign because of my drinking. Within that short space of time, drinking had become an accepted way of life. I love booze. I love people who drink. The places where they drank at that time in my life. Although I had lost my first job and embarrassed my family, it never occurred to me that alcohol could be a problem. From that first night at the bar a year earlier, I had made a profound decision to direct my life. For many years to come, alcohol was my friend, and I would follow it to ends of the earth. After that first job, there were many more that I lost, all because of my drinking. I taught in many schools and in different states. I was no longer the moral young man who had seen his destiny in helping people live better. <clears throat> I was loud and arrogant, angry, abusive. Always blaming and confronting others. I was getting arrested and beaten up. I had developed a foul mouth and frequently drunk in classes and in public places. Finally, my teaching career ended in total dishonor. My family could not understand what was happening to me, nor could I. In the moments of clarity, I was full of shame, guilt and remorse. I had become an embarrassment to all who had faith in the had faith in me. To others I had become a joke. I wanted to die. Now alcohol had become the only friend I had. I wound up in an insane asylum, which probably saved my life. I do not remember how I got there. I do know that I had become suicidal. I became comfortable there. Months later, I cried when I was dismissed. I knew by that time that I could not make it in the world. I was, was safe behind the Bardi hospital windows. I wanted to stay there for the rest of my life. I could not drink there. But tranquilizers and other drugs abounded. And I helped myself to them. The word alcoholic was never mentioned. I do not believe that doctors knew much more about alcoholism than I did. When I was released from the asylum, I moved to a large city to make a new beginning. And the time I picked up the drink, I got good jobs, lost them I had in the past. All fear and remorse and terrible depression returned tenfold. Still did not register that the drinking might be the cause of all the misery. I sold my blood. I prostituted myself. 
I drank more. I became homeless and slept in the in the bus and train terminals. I scrawled cigarette butts off the sidewalks and drank from the common wine bottle with other and other drunks. I drunk my way to the man's to the men's municipal shelter and made it in made it my home. I panhandled. By the time I by the time I was going to drink, I did not bathe or change clothes. I stank. I became thin and a little ill. I had begun to hear voices and accepted them as death omens. I was frightened, arrogant, enraged, resentful of man, God, and the universe. There was nothing else to live for, but I was too frightened to die. It was at that point that a woman who was a social worker on a skid row and a sober and member of Alcoholics Anonymous sat me down in her office and told me her story, how she drank and what happened, and how she got sober. No one ever had done this before. I had preached to and analyzed, cursed, counseled, but no one had ever said, I identify with going on with you. Identify with what's going on with you. It happened to me. This is what I did about it. She got me to the first AA meeting that same evening. The people at the meeting gathered around me in kindness. In those early days, I did not, did not drink. But the spiritual demons of withdrawal descended on me. I was black and these people were white. What did they know about suffering? What could they tell me? I was black and bright and the world had consistently rejected me for it. I hated this world. It's people. It's punishing God. Yet I believed the people in AA were sincere and whatever they believed in was working for them. I just did not believe that AA would work for me as a black drunk. I genuinely, I genuinely believed that I was different until much later. When I had what I know now it to be my first spiritual awakening. That I was an alcoholic, I didn't have to drink. I also learned that alcoholism as an equal opportunity illness does not discriminate. Does not really discriminate, not restricted to race, creed, geography. At last, I was released from the bondage of my uniqueness. In its early sobriety, I had continued to live in a flop house filled with active drunks. Not drinking, I became acutely aware of my surroundings. The fall of smells, the noise, the hostility, the physical danger. My resentments mounted at the realization that I had finished a career down in the drain, disgraced, and alienated my family, and, my, and been relegated to the meanest, to the meanest of inst institutions. A skin row shelter. But I was also able to realize that the bonfire of resentment 
Rage was beckoning me to pick up a drink and plunge into my death. Then I realized I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of those things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly, endlessly, for better or worse, both good and bad. I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on those ups and downs of living. Sobriety must live a life of its own. More important, I came to believe that I could not do this alone. For childhood began, for childhood, despite the love I experienced, I had never let people, even those closest to me, inside my life. All my life I had lived the deepest of lies. Not sharing with anyone with my true thoughts and feelings. I thought I had a direct line to God and I built a wall of distrust around myself. In AA I faced the pervasive we of the twelve steps and gradually realized that I had that I can separate and protect my sobriety from the outside hazards only and as much as I rely as I rely on the sober experience of other AA members and share their experience, share their journey through the steps to recovery. The rewards of sobriety are bountiful, as progressive as the disease they counteract. Certainly among those rewards for me are released from prison of uniqueness and the realization that participation in AA way of life is a blessing and a privilege beyond estimate a blessing to live a life free from the pain and degrade degradation degradation of drinking and filled with joy of useful sober living and a privilege to grow in sobriety one day at a time and bring the message of hope as it was brought to me. And nobody else has told you that they love you today. I do. And thanks for listening.